And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. You'll be the best and you gotta pay a little price. If you want it bad enough, you gotta do the little extra things and get it. Welcome to the 11 Personnel Podcast, your favorite Rams podcast. I'm your host, Dor- <laughs> It's gonna be one of those. <laughs> it's gonna be one of those days. So Ken, far, we, Ken, so we far can keep we've... that one in. We can keep that one in. Welcome. So far, we've missed the name of the podcast and your name. <laughs> Welcome to the 11 Personnel Podcast, your favorite and most together Rams podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Rodriguez. With me, as always, my fabulous co-host, Rich Hammond. Rich, how are we doing? Oh, me? Were you talking to me? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's just uh, what a 24 hours it has been, huh, Jordan, as we sit here on Monday evening. The Rams are headed to the Super Bowl. Holy shit. Yeah, I know. Uh, how many times in the last in the last week uh, or the last eight days has, has that pendulum swung back and forth to thinking, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. And uh, ultimately, they did it. Uh, they found a way to slay the giant, otherwise known as Kyle Shanahan, and get over the hump of beating the San Francisco 49ers. Fantastic game. Just so many amazing subplots, so many big plays, so many big players, so many big players who aren't big names, which is something I know we'll want to talk about too. But Jordan, you were there, you experienced all of this. I'll tell you what, my thoughts in the moments after the game went back to Atlanta uh, three years ago when, when the Rams lost the Super Bowl. And I'd never covered a Super Bowl before, so I'd never seen what it was like to uh, see the losing side of it. And what I remember is just the, the faces. I mean, you, you always put sports in context, but I mean, just the stricken, uh, faces and just the almost, uh, disbelief, uh, that was on the faces of some of these Rams, uh, Sean McVay and some of the players. And I couldn't help but think about that night, um, and them getting another chance at this because you can go through your whole career as a player or a coach, uh, and never get one shot at it. And so many people do not just never even get there. And to get there once and to lose it, I can only imagine what that feels like. And to wonder if you'll ever get back, to wonder if you'll ever get a chance to kind of right that wrong. And Jordan, I know you spoke to, you know, this in your in your fantastic column that, that's on our, our website and our app, but just kind of Fighting those demons, um, I guess. And I, I wonder how you contextualize that, you know, knowing some of the people that you've talked to and, and having been around this team. Like, what what was your sense from, from these folks uh, after that game last night? Yeah, you know, it wasn't just that they won and they beat Kyle Shanahan for the first time in seven tries on their seventh try on their third matchup of the season. 
I'm not really into uh, uh, superstitions. I'm not superstitious, but I am a little stitious. Yeah. And <laughs> it's, I, you know, lucky numbers, yay, you know, three and seven. But, but it was, it was really so layered, right? Like I was joking with um, a couple of writers who were there, you know, the, the house came out for, for this. Everyone was there, right? You know, all of the, all of the nationals. And it just was really, really cool to see everybody there. And I was talking with a couple of, of people and I was like, if I were to pitch this to an editor who didn't actually, wasn't following the Rams this season, wasn't following even football this season, if I were to pitch this narrative, the layers to what this game is, they would say, oh, stop, stop, stop. It's too heavy-handed. Yeah. It's too, you know, it's it's, it's, it's too uh, soap opera. You know, it's, you can't write that. It's too much. And, but that's what it is. I mean, the, the, the poetry of it and really it's, it's, it is, it's heavy-handed and that's part of it. They, they embrace that part of it, which is what I've been trying to convey for the last couple of weeks. There's been a very small shift in their ecosystem, a very small shift in their universe where they've get, developed sort of this understanding of the the heaviness of these layers that they need to sort through, that they have needed to sort through to get to this point. And it's it, it's the welcoming of the fact that they almost need chaos around them, that they need circumstances to be heavy because that's the way that they can fight through it. That's where they started, have started to learn how to find their answers. You've kind of seen this in the second half of the season with this team, this, these subtle changes here and there where, where they are getting quicker at finding the answers to things in real time. And I think you saw that, especially in this game, um, you know, a week to prepare against a team that you know so well and you could come out with a plan and have guessed totally wrong and the Rams didn't. And we'll get into – why I thought that it was one of the most uh, fantastically planned games by the coaching staff on in all three phases, uh, but especially offense and defense, because of some of the nuances and tweaks that they added and some of the ways that they changed things, uh, either subtly or not so subtly. But on a on a whole level, this is a team that, as you describe it, Rich, and, and you describe it so well, and we've talked about this several times since I got to this beat, the shock of and the bewilderment almost of what just happened. Well, the Rams are going into the second half of the season and especially through the postseason with their eyes wide open and yeah. almost like they're welcoming, you know, come what may, because they now understand that the only way to sort through the answers and to find yourself and to figure out what you need to do is to first understand what you're facing. And they didn't even get to that step, in my opinion, that first time around. And this time around, they have now, first of all, with this, with these last three wins, first, you know, the 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 road win in Tampa and to, against Tom Brady and then the, you know, near implosion. And then beating this 49ers team, it was so layered and so set up uh, for either one, either team to, um, it could have gone either way, but the Rams almost kind of were like, no, we need it. We need it to be this way. We need it to be this team. We need, we need it to be this heaviness um, because this is the way that we set our own path. And if, if we figured this out, um, I think that there's a lot to be said for figuring it out in the way that they did and, and what that carries as they move forward. 
And you know what's interesting to me, Jordan, as you say that, you know, they are all on this path together, right? I mean, they're all a team. They're all pulling on the same end of the rope. But within that, I think everybody has their own little journey and they're not all the same, right? I mean, you talk about Sean McVay and and the journey he's been on since 2018 and, and losing that Super Bowl and what it's meant to him and how it's changed him and how it's changed this uh, coaching staff and the direction of the franchise. That's different than what Matthew Stafford is going through right now. You know, having come from Detroit, having to have all these questions put on him. Can he do it? Is he that guy? That's different than what Cooper Cup is going through, having never been through this before, having torn his ACL and not being able to experience this the last time, having to watch it from the sidelines. That's different from what Aaron Donald is going through, you know, being a dominant defensive player who's trying to you know, put that last thing on his resume, which is a Super Bowl ring. They all are kind of, they're they're all go walking together in the same direction and facing these challenges that you're talking about. Uh, but they all have their own little subplots within that too, which I think makes it really, really compelling and, and just fascinating to, to track how they all kind of have their own little demons that they have to conquer. And then collectively, they're, they're all trying to do it together. I, I think the Rams, and we're, we're going to talk a lot about the Rams and Bengals. And, and you know, we'll be back next week, too, to kind of break down more of the uh, more of the football matchup, maybe. But the, the Rams, I think, are kind of the protagonist in, in the Super Bowl matchup because there there's so many subplots and they've been this team that's gone, quote unquote, all in. How many times have we heard that phrase uh, over the last few days or weeks? or months or years. Um, so they are the team. They are the team with the, with the talking points here. But my goodness, there's there's so much here. And um, I would just I would encourage everybody to go read your your column um, because it, once again, Jordan, you, you broke away from the pile uh, model. But but I know why you did it is because there was such a strong, compelling angle to this um, as as a team reaches the Super Bowl. So you know, congratulations on on doing that. And, and I know there's going to be so much more to come over the, this next, you know, week and a half here as, as we get ready for this game. But it, it really is just a fascinating team to cover, isn't it? Yeah. And, and, you know, it is what we kind of talked about last week is like the most important part of what they did was how they they did it and why it mattered the way that they did it. Right. And so that, you know, I, I love writing the pile. That is one of my favorite things. I love the, the comments and the inside jokes and, and I love that you guys stay up for it and all this stuff, but I'll tell you what, you can't do what these guys have accomplished full justice without trying to fully capture, um, what what it what it has been and i will tell you what um i like i feel it in the sense of that heaviness where uh you're so looking forward to what happens next but you feel how much the toll has been and i'm yeah. only a beat writer like you know covering <laughs> it yes i've covered them every day for the last 2 years but at the same time um you know you you feel that you as someone who tries to be empathetic to the journey like that is something that you feel so deeply of what that must be and i think that's where you start to get into how beneficial you know the the big questions in the middle of the year were obviously about von miller and uh, odell and and honestly some questions about matthew stafford as well cuz he was going through a little bit of a a streaky period there and 
And there were some questions, you know, can he do this? And not necessarily from us, but, uh, you know, some, <laughs> some people had, had questions about that. And um, I think that part of the way that you put together a Super Bowl winning team or part of the way that you win games on the microcosmic level, that you win games one game at a time, is you figure out how to turn minus one, minus two into a leverage to your advantage. And, you know, the Rams onboarded these two players, Von Miller and Odell Beckham, and they, they, you know, people, I've been talking to people the last two weeks or so, and the message has been the same. Like we knew they would be good for us is what they, these people are, have said. We knew they'd be good for us, but we didn't realize what they would lend on a deeper level emotionally mm. for this group. Mm. And part of it is that um, almost the newness of both of these guys who are like in awe of this team build and the culture and being a part of this group that is so secure, but also very used to each other, right? Yeah. And part of that has been looking at it through that lens. I think it's been reinvigorating and refreshing for the players who have been sort of quote unquote in the trenches with this group for so long or for the last couple of years as they've tried to put it together. Um, probably for Sean McVay as well, who's also been trying to figure out how to put it all together. And looking at it through the lens of, of two outsiders who are working to be on the inside and, and be role players like that is refreshing and reinvigorating in a way. Um, and then also the fact that it started clicking and working and they lent something to um, a spark, not just emotionally, uh, not just as the the energy they bring. You know, Sean McVay, I don't know that I've heard him reference the word energy. You know, he always does like the he's got a good look in his eye um, <laughs> above the neck, like all this stuff. He does those types of things, yeah. but he doesn't really get into like the the real good stuff that I like where you talk about, you know, the brain and the, and the, the conscious and, and like just how, uh, how someone's energy can, can be and, and all of that. And that he cannot stop honestly at this point yeah. of when it comes to Odell and, and Vaughn. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that that's telling there's clearly a, uh, invigorating and reinvigorating facet to having them here, not just what they're doing, which is substantial on the field for the Rams. And again, we'll get to that when we break down this game a little bit more. Um, and then I think at the same time that they began to really settle into this space, like, and, and really start to, to let that flow happen. Um, Matthew Stafford stabilized and then he reached yeah. another level in the postseason. And, and it's interesting because I, you know, I asked Sean in the postgame presser, how has he met this moment? And Sean says he didn't change. Like this is this is who we believed he would be. This is what we believed he would be capable of. Uh, again, bit of a great assault. You probably have to say that because you did trade for this guy, expecting that he would take you to the Super Bowl. But at the same time, I thought that that was he's never he has never wavered in that confidence from from Matthew. And Matthew has also taken that and um, sort of returned that tenfold, I think, back into the offense with what he's been able to do and how he's led them, honestly, in the last several seasons. And so I think there was there was such a turning of the tide moment with these guys, um, probably about the mid-season point uh, that when December started, really, of course, in the column, it also gets to how that only really started happening when the shit hit the fan several weeks right. in a row. Right. And then then their games started mirroring that sort of need to have uh, have to brawl your way through something. Um, so we'll see what happens in two weeks against Cincinnati. But, but this is a team that is secure in itself. 
Um, it's a team that has put it together, like you said, and, and like I've been writing about, found ways to not just solve its little demons or or large demons along the way, but also willfully embrace the ones that they could not change uh, and, and sort of entered this space with their eyes wide open, understanding that this is what is necessary and this is what it takes. Yeah. You know, the, the thing that really impresses me there, I mean, you can, you can talk about bringing those two guys in and you can say, oh, the Rams took a chance. So they took a risk, but, and, and yeah, they did. I mean, bringing in guys like that, you don't know exactly what's going to happen. Bringing in two veterans and to your team in the middle of the year, and um, you know, are they going to fit in? Are they going to find a role? Yeah, it's a little bit of a risk, but, but to me, what it what impresses me is that how seamlessly those two guys had, have fit in. If if I if I showed you, if you didn't know anything about these Rams, if you hadn't you watched them, you didn't know anything about their roster. If I showed you Von Miller and the way that he interacts with teammates in in interviews or on the sideline or whatever, you would think this has been a guy who has been with this team for ten years and has played with these guys for so long. Um, because it's authentic and and it, it fits in. He's not trying to mold them in in the image of Von Miller. He's trying to fit in the context of, of what's already been going on here and lend what he can lend. And I think that's really impressive. And that's got to be a difficult thing to balance because Von Miller comes in. He's Von friggin' Miller, you know? I mean, he's been a dominant defensive player. He's got a Super Bowl ring. It would be very easy for him to come in and say, hey, Guys, this is my, I'm going to tell you what to do. This is what we need to do to win. You do what I tell you to do. But it it certainly doesn't appear that that's what's going on. I mean, he is fitting into the culture. He's even deferential to a guy like Aaron Donald, uh, which I I think is a very smart thing to do. And then Odell Beckham, again, I mean, the guy comes in and everybody's dumping on him and is, you know, coming up with every reason why he's going to be a malcontent and he's going to be a problem. And he, he has to know that every little thing that he does, every little thing that he says is going to get put under the microscope, um, which has got to be an awful feeling. It's got to be, it's, it's just, you, you, you can't win almost in in that scenario, and and again, what he has done is come in and accept a role. Uh, you don't you don't hear him say anything. He's he fits in that offense. He does exactly what the Rams ask him to do and need him to do. So I, I really do credit those two guys, and and then of course Matthew Stafford. You know, it, it's it's the the thing that gets me again. We've we've talked about this before. Is you're going to have those moments, right? And and you talk about the dropped interception by Tart, which uh, certainly could have been a game-changing play. And I'll tell you what, if I'm a quarterback, if, if that was me back there throwing the ball, that I would have turned into a puddle. Like I would have, that, <laughs> that would have been it. Like uh, the game would have been over. Uh, but Matthew Stafford is able to turn that off immediately and say, uh, you know what, bad throw, bad play. Uh let, let, let's keep going. And, and that's exactly what they did. And, you know, ended up uh, leading two more field goal drives that, that ended up uh, winning the game. So that, that's the poise. That's, that's what the Rams traded for. You don't like to see those mistakes. Uh, and the Rams, we can get into a little bit, Jordan, but they, they made the kind of mistakes in the, in this game that, oh my goodness. I mean, I tweeted at one point, they just can't get out of their own way. Um, and you know, whether it was the timeouts or the challenges or some of these plays that they're, I mean, it was just like, 
oh my goodness, like you just can't, you can't get out of your own way here. Um, but in, in the end, it was a veteran team that, that, that found a way and just, wow, just, just a great game. It's one of the, one of those games that like, I, I will want to rewatch again during the off season just because it had so many layers to it. Yeah. And, and like, um, first of all, you would think that that would be an easy write because of just the natural poetry of it. And it, very much was not. They're an never easy, right? easy rights. Yeah. No. So, but but second of all, like here, I think I think Sean McVay. I actually asked him about this today. I think he's still trying to figure out what type of aggressive he wants to be as a coach, and I think that's that's probably to be expected. Uh, sometimes we feel like there was no NFL before the Sean McVay tree and all of its stems right but but this this is still kind of new for him and it's a lot of success very quickly um and i'm not uh, first and foremost i'm not excusing the challenges they were bad and he admitted they were bad today uh so yeah i asked him about the challenges and about being aggressive with decision making and so i'm super i'm the super positive one on the beat this week but um so (laughs) yeah so um here, here's what I think is so important, and it, it kind of goes back to what I was saying. You see this sort of slight, slight shift in the timeline. It's like um, this. You see us like maybe a sound line, and you see just a faint little spike in the sound line, right? Um, it's. I think he needed the the particular brand of fearlessness that Matthew Stafford has, right? And Matthew, I, you know. Going into sort of that that different place that he was in, um, you know, a couple weeks ago, but then also just kind of just the way that he's been, he's he's very steady, and and sometimes Sean has tended to uh, just kind of veer into frenetic energy at times, right, and and uh, wears his emotions on his sleeve um, in in the in the sort of heat of the game and all this stuff, and I think he's needed the steadiness of Matthew, but I think he's needed the fearlessness of. Um, like we've said before, you don't have to be perfect mm-hmm. to win games with this guy at quarterback. You don't have to have the perfect call at every time. You'd like to, obviously, and you're still they're still, I think, striving for that even now. But mm-hmm. but you you can sort of um walk into that other space where you just game. Like you just go into gamer mode. And and, and you, you know, I'm not we're not doing the comparison thing. It is so pointless at this point. Uh but that's just not something that they had before. And so I, I think that McVeigh, I think Sean, like I think he needed I think he needed that to become a slightly different, slightly more evolved version of himself. We've seen how the offense has drastically evolved um and and so many different layers and and even even Sunday adding nuance to the run game that we have not seen in since, you know, since he took over and certainly had not seen um, this year at all and adding different layers of things, the drop back game, uh, some of the things that can be maybe a little too risky at times, but it's almost like you can start to understand now why they, they matter so much to this group, this staff and these players is, is I think he did need that particular brand, that specific, Mm -hmm. I don't know if he would have gotten that from another quarterback if they had, you know, I think that this was just the right match at the right time. And 
he need he, they they both obviously needed something from each other and our colleague Lindsay Jones wrote really well about this earlier today mm-hmm. you know Matthew Stafford also needed this he needed this opportunity he didn't have it he's in uncharted territory it's really impressive the way that he's handling this in in such uncharted territory yeah. um and he needed this opportunity as well but i think Sean McVay did not recognize fully and i want to say probably until about the midway point of the season didn't recognize maybe fully what he truly was uh, not depending on, but truly absorbing from this collaborative partnership that the two have formed. And I think it's really interesting to watch that slight signal shift. Now, I don't think that translates directly into Sean McVay goes for it on every fourth down. I don't think that's <laughs> the type of uh, aggression you're ever going to really see from him. Um, I will say it was a bit, my jaw almost dropped today because he did agree with Kyle Shanahan's decision to punt on the fourth and oh, very no. short, uh, no, no, no. which I <laughs> do not agree with, <laughs> but, uh, but so, you know, it's still Sean, that's still Sean McVay. He's still in there. But yeah. I, but I also think that when you, it, it's almost like when you hear Cooper cup talk about this a lot, where you can, it's a sense of playing free, right? Because you have so much command, over the situation because you do have you you don't have that little voice in the back of your head is this right is this going to implode uh am i going to spiral like you have this sense of this sort of fearless steadiness um that that you've clearly seen from this team over the last couple of weeks and and um it's been that that part's been fascinating to watch particularly that dynamic in their partnership um you know, sometimes we tend to psychoanalyze Sean McVay on this podcast, but I don't <laughs> think I'm, I honestly don't think I'm wrong about that. I really don't think I'm wrong about that because, um, you can, you can, if you are around people every day, you can see the little ways in which they start to change. And I think that's one of them. Yeah, it, it really is fascinating. And and I agree, Jordan, I, I don't want, you know, this to break down to like, oh, Matthew Stafford versus Jared Goff or that like that it's it's so played out and it's there's no point. Well, it's annoying. It It was annoying at the beginning and it remains annoying. (laughs) It is. um, It is. And it's it's pointless really is is what it is. Uh, It's not going to solve anything. Um, But yeah, I I look at it because, you know, I thought about the the NFC championship game in 2018 and the Rams got down early in in that game and and really were playing from behind for most of the game. And Jared Goff was was steady in that game and, and, you know, played very well and and helped the Rams come back. And, you know, Matthew Stafford does it in this game down 10 points and look like they're just on on the edge of disaster. And and then, you know, they come back and and win it in the fourth quarter. Um, You know, Jared always projected that too. He always projected that call. Is is one thing that that I think is is and was one of one of his primary uh, uh, talents is you just he didn't look like anything was ever getting at you. It was just very calm. You could talk to him. he never never gave up anything one way or the other. But um, but I think Matthew Stafford brings something a little bit different, and and I think it's it's maybe on. And again, this is not good, bad, indifferent. It's not one is better than the other. It's not one is, you know, superior uh, way to approach it. Um, but I, I think Stafford and, and McVeigh kind of connect on on a little bit of a, of a different level. And 
and and I, I think it speaks to what you're talking about here is that they, that's that kind of push and push and pull with each other. They give each other uh, what they need. I mean, these are two very much kind of uh, you know, I, I guess you would say almost you know alpha males in 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 the way that they approach things. Um, and but but they they still play off each other. There's not that conflict. It's like they 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 kind of bring out what what the other needs in each other. Maybe I'm not doing a great way of, of explaining that, but um, but that that's kind of how it feels uh, uh, during a game. And, and I think there's certainly that trust there too, um, to where, you know, Sean might make some of these decisions that make us, you know, go like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? What are you thinking in this play uh, or in this moment? But but it, I think it's because of that, that connection and that trust that he has um, with Stafford. So it, it's really fascinating. I mean, we've, we've known from, from the beginning with Sean McVay, I mean, his his relationship with his quarterback, whoever whoever it was, it didn't it wasn't specific to one person, but that was always, and I think is always going to be the most important relationship um, on any team that Sean McVay coaches, and and I think that is absolutely uh, the case here. And yeah, they've they've done it. I mean, there's one more game to win, but they've gone as far as you can go. There's no there's no games after this. So whether they win or lose, they've they've gotten as far as you can get. Uh, and now we'll see if they can finish it off. But it's 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 been quite a journey with those two. At 365 days. I mean, I you know. talk, talk about the ridiculous story, Jordan. Heavy. That, it's too heavy. It's too much. Uh, it would get <laughs> it's rejected. It's it's ridiculous. I mean, I like, almost, if, I, if I submitted you know, this. To an editor, they would say, get this off my desk. Like, that's too much. I mean, it was almost to the minute. Yeah. Like, you you looked at some of the tweets that went out on January 30th, 2021, and it was like r- almost to the hour uh, of when uh, the Rams beat the 49ers. And, it, you know, it was the one-year anniversary. Just, just utterly wild stuff. Yeah, and I will also say that I turned, I turned 29 on January 29th. Uh, and they, I was covering on that night, I covered the fact that the Rams were taking calls on Jared Goff. Mm -hmm. And then the next night, uh, was the night I think I told this story where I had the bottle of wine open on the counter because I was like, oh, well, it was my birthday and I worked. So now I'm going to have a glass of wine and just celebrate that. And then I get a quiet night. Yeah. And then I get a phone call and (laughs) the, you know, what has hit the fan. And this year, when I turned 30, uh, on the anniversary of that trade, the Rams uh, punched their ticket to the Super Bowl. So all I'm saying, uh, yes. all I'm with that quarterback who they traded for uh, a year ago to the day. That's so right. all I'm saying is 31 is going to be freaking epic, man. <laughs> like, Can't wait. Oh, 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 what's going to happen there? Oh, my goodness. Like, well, happy birthday. Oh, thank you. Thank yes. you. And... Um, Oh my goodness! I mean, there's still a lot to get here to uh, Jordan, but uh, just you know, maybe maybe a little newsy stuff here. And yeah. and again, it, this is going to move really fast. And and depending on when people listen to this, I, I'm sure there will be um, new info. But but w- let, let's run through the good and bad here, Jordan. What what do we know? Obviously, Tyler Higby had to leave that game uh, with a, a knee injury. Um, wasn't able to return. We'll get to Kendall Plant- Blanton. Oh my goodness, Kendall Blanton! What a game he had. Um, but what do we know about uh, Tyler Higby as we sit here on Monday night? And then what on the flip side of it, um, what could be some of the good news here talking about uh, some guys who 
haven't been able to play the last week or so, but might be able to come back. What, what's the latest we know on all this? Yeah, so this is a obviously a unique period because they've got some time now to get guys healthy. Other side does too, so it's it's good news for both both teams here. But um, Tyler Higby, he has a sprained MCL. He left the game in the first half. He limped off pretty pretty noticeably um, mid mid drive. And, um, you know, he was he was definitely having an effect before that. So it was a, it was a big loss at the time. Um, he's day to day still there. Sean McVay said that they are going to try to get him ready. They're going to try to see what they could do um, to see if he could play. Uh, that's going to be a really finicky injury. So, uh, you know, just not sure what what's going to happen there. And that's, that's quite literally just going to be a every day of practice and actual access. Like there will probably be some sort of update. Cause you just won't know. Um, the other guys, Sebastian, Joseph day, Robert Rochelle and Daryl Henderson, each are in the 21 day, uh, activation window. The team did this last week just to be ready in case they made it to the Super Bowl, um, because otherwise they wouldn't have been able to get the on-field workouts in during practice with everybody. Um, so it was, you know, someone was tweeting at me and it was like, this is uh, arrogant of the Rams to just expect that. The-. I'm like, no, 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 no. They have to do this. <laughs> you can't wait any longer. If you even think that these guys could come back, like you really cannot wait any right. longer. Um, right. So that that's that. So Sean McVay actually did not close the door to the possibility of all three of those guys returning. And, you know, I would think, I mean, I don't know, based on what I saw them doing on the field, I've seen them each do a bit of an on-field workout. Um, it's, it's clear on all of them that they weren't last week, that they weren't moving at full speed, but you never know time and tr- the treatment and all of that. It's, it can be really helpful as can be the motivation to want to, you know, be on the sideline and, and not up in the the suite or anything like that. Um, during this game. And and so Sean McVay says he's going to sit down with Reggie Scott and, and talk through it. Another guy who's trending in the right direction is Ernest Jones. He was on a bit of a pitch count um, on Sunday against San Francisco, but he, he got through it and there was no setback to my knowledge. So um, he's trending in the right direction, especially with two extra weeks. Um, Cam Akers is apparently fine. Uh, he left the game, had a bit of a shoulder issue, and then came back in the game. And Sean McVay was not concerned about his status at all. Um, so, you know, that's all, all over. Oh, and then Van Jefferson uh, was clearly in pain a couple of t- uh, a couple of yeah. moments with the injury. But um, my understanding is that just, you know, treatment and rest and he's going to be fine and, and ready to go for for Super Bowl Sunday. So the other than Tyler Higbee, who is hugely important, obviously, to this to this offense and they've already lost Johnny month this year. So you really don't want to lose Tyler Higby, but um, going to just be a, a play it by ear thing. And then Kendall Blanton um, really, really impressed has, yeah. has been impressing as does whatever he's asked to do. And they, he's been asked to do a lot like <laughs> yeah. the, the, what was it? The, the flea flicker screen, the flea flicker inside screen. It was a weird looking play, Ooh, but man, it worked That was somehow. weird, but yeah, it was fine, yeah. yeah. And he kind of even did the signature Tyler Higby rumble rumble forward and then fall forward. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. he kind of did that thing. And and I, I'm really impressed with him. Um, his post-Tampa Bay press conference is posted on the Rams website. And if you guys want to just have your mood lifted a little bit, you should go watch it because uh, he crushed it and also implored his parents to call him back 
because they had not called him. <laughs> they had not returned his phone calls yet. It usually goes the other way. Right. So, I was like, oh, yeah, man, yeah, buddy. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. but yeah, he, he, he was delightful. But yeah, so he'll be huge. The, the thing, too, is like, you know, the pro- part of the problem was they didn't have two tight ends, uh, two, spa- uh, two depth tight ends up. Bryson Hopkins was on the inactive roster. They had to twist some numbers uh, toward their offensive line just in case with Andrew Whitworth still coming back from the knee and ankle injuries. So, um, and then get their special teams numbers up and all of that. So, um, you know, Buddy Howell was back. So he was active. He made a great play on special teams. Mm-hmm. So that probably factored into why Bryson wasn't active. But if Tyler can't go, it's it's going to be a big, big day for Kendall Blanton. But also you really need that extra effort, particularly possibly in blocking help um, from Bryson Hopkins as well. And uh, the only other I was, was going to ask you about is Taylor Rapp because, right. um, you know, just an ongoing thing. And I know we, we both mentioned it on Twitter how – and listen, we don't we don't know these things. And, and a lot of times, especially uh, – I know you've dealt with a lot of concussion things. I have too. Uh, there's no timeline on these things. And that's what makes them scary. Um, doesn't always mean that it's scary, but, but it can be. And, uh, you know, the fact that the Taylor Rapp misses a third game – uh, because of a concussion issue, um, you hope he's okay, first of all. Uh, mm-hmm. for, take football out of the equation. And I, I know we certainly agree on that, uh, Jordan. But it uh, seems like he, uh, Sean McVay seemed to kind of make some noises that, that Taylor might be headed in the in the right direction. Yeah, he said that he was sort of turning the corner for the positive, which I think is good. Um, it, it, the He was able to participate in a limited capacity last week which was obviously an upgrade from being completely uh, a DNP the week before. So that's good. The thing is, though, he needs a full practice in order to cross that last step of the concussion protocol. He needs to practice fully and then be cleared by an independent uh, right. concussion specialist and or an independent doctor, that kind of right. thing. And so um, that's basically two steps in one, but um, he has yet to cross that threshold. So... Um, the positive is that he seems to be trending in the right direction. Um, really, really scary thing. And, uh, you know, just hoping he's okay. And, um, you know, these, we don't, we don't know what his symptoms are. We don't know what, to what extent, um, things have, how things have been for him. Um, but I will say having covered a lot of concussions, I know you have too, um, they're so varied and they can be really, really scary and you just want him to be fine in the in the short term and the long term yeah absolutely 100 percent. that's always the first uh the first thing there um and it'll it'll be interesting to see hope you know hope he's back want want a guy like that to uh, get an opportunity to play in the super bowl you want everybody to to be able to experience that so i, I hope all of these guys that we talked about um are, are able to uh to do that looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. But I'm wondering, Jordan, and maybe kind of pivot back into the into the game a little bit here, um, because we're talking about some defensive guys who potentially could return: Sebastian Joseph Day, Taylor Rapp, Ernest Jones, maybe with a little bit of a, a bigger role if if he gets in there. But my goodness, um, you, we can. Uh, I, I didn't mean for this to be a hot take, but it, it kind of uh, caught a little bit of fire on on Twitter when I said, you know what, I think I think it might be a, a time <laughs> to issue some apologies to Raheem Morris, and you you see that uh, around a little bit. Jordan, let, let's jump in here be, and, and talk about maybe what was different um, because we spent a lot of time talking about that week 18 game against the 49ers and how uh, it was pretty straightforward. There wasn't a whole lot to dissect there. The 49ers made some very simple adjustments uh, and did some things that the Rams weren't able uh, to stop. This was not a perfect defensive game for the Rams by any stretch of the imagination. So let's not take it to a place where I don't want it to go. Missed tackling, big, big problem mm-hmm. again, again. Uh, some coverage issues again. Um, but fundamentally, Jordan, what what do you think kind of was the difference here uh, compared, especially compared to that Week 18 game, just because that's so fresh in our minds? You know, I think here it's actually probably one of the easiest games of the year to separate scheme and execution um, because in part, I think thanks to the 49ers and thanks to Kyle Shanahan and Mike McDaniel, because you knew which parts of the field they were going to target. You knew which yeah. players they were going to target, and they did. Troy Reader and Darius Williams, they targeted them. They tried to get Darius Williams to tackle on the outside runs on some of the perimeter plays. They tried to spam the middle of the field where Troy Reader was playing. They knew he wasn't coming off the field because he's wearing the green dot. Um, and they tried to do this a lot of similar things that they did, not just with the run game, but also with Debo Samuel um, in terms of making those things happen. They, uh, they, you, I think this is where you can separate because you could see when the problems happen, it was because of missed tackles really. And Mm -hmm. some, you know, guys maybe slightly out of position 
taking the wrong angles, things like that. Uh, the coverage issue, I think Darius uh, like tripped right before the catch point. Um, yeah. yeah, so that was just kind of unfortunate on that long that long throw and catch. Okay, but here's where you can separate, and this is what I think is really cool that they did, and we spent a lot of the first part of this podcast talking about how uh, – they were stunned. The uh, the Rams were stunned because a coach came in, and we've talked about this all year, and it's kind of full circle. I, you know, even my Brandon Staley, Sean McVay piece is illustrates how stunned that Sean was by the fact that a team completely changed its defense over the course of two weeks and hmm. played the thing against him that best stopped his own offense, hmm. and then he wanted that thing. Um, yeah. The multiplicity that the Rams have in their defense with the personnel that they have, and I'll get into some of the specifics, it was clear, and it was also clear that these guys are not effing around in terms of what they are now able to do and the adjustments they are able to make. Um, the first part of the season, I think anyone with a realistic brain was thinking this is going to be bumpy at first. This is a defensive coordinator who's learning this new system uh, for the first time, going to be running it, uh, learning all of these players. Um, there are players that are missing that are that were huge losses for them in the beginning of the year. Um, I think particularly before you really knew what you had in Ernest Jones um, and that his injury has also been hurt, has hurt them, too. Um, and then also you your safeties weren't quite there yet. Uh, Jordan Fuller, I think, has been outstanding, but you know, some inconsistency at the beginning of the year from Taylor, and then also um you weren't quite sure because you weren't they weren't playing Terrell Burgess, so they weren't sure what they had in him. Nick Scott was a bit up and down whenever he was in in the sub packages. He's played lights mm-hmm. out the last three weeks. And you didn't have Eric Weddle, who has been phenomenal. Yeah. So this brings me to my point. Hopefully, if I don't get lost along the way again. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So the Rams were able to, similarly to kind of what stunned them so much, uh, it wasn't the same defense that they played, but they were able to move to a a very, very different scheme than what they normally play. What that too high roof over the back stopped the explosive pass play uh, safeties play from depth, corners play from depth. Jalen Ramsey roves around, you know, kind of uh, in the middle or outside and all this stuff. Well, the Jalen element was the same, right? Uh, the 49ers largely avoided him in their passing plays. But uh, the elements that were very, very different was the Rams uh, started dropping their one of their safeties into the box, and they almost at times – so they, loaded, they would load up the box. They were clearly – they needed to stop the run, and they did, by the way. They were extremely effective against yeah. the run. Probably one of their most impressive games against this level of opponent. And the nuance and the all of the off elements and the all of the pitches, basically, that McDaniel has in his arsenal for this run game, um, they were incredibly effective in, in stopping the run. I think it was, what, 50 yards rushing that they held them yeah, to? The Rams outgained um, the 49ers on the ground, which I, I wouldn't have bet a dollar. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I didn't even – when I was writing about this game, I was like, yeah, Cam Akers may be a factor, but it's going to be one through the air, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know shit, right? Like, it, it really was it – was, it was so impressive, right? And, and, and so – 
the 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 Rams, you know, they loaded up the box. Normally they play the light boxes and they play gap and a half. Uh the 49ers can punish that with with again with the all of the elements that they do have in the run game. Um and instead the Rams loaded up the box and then they filled extra gaps with guys who are playing closer to the line of scrimmage. Troy Reader was play, playing closer to the line of scrimmage. A lot of times David Long was playing closer to the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. Um Eric Weddle was especially playing closer to the line of scrimmage and fitting the run so well. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, too, you even had almost like a 4-3. The Rams are 3-4, essentially. That doesn't really exist anymore, right? Because everything's so multiple. But you almost had 4-3 looks um, where then you've got Eric and he looks like you're sort of your third your third backer. Right. And they were using him in, in all of those types of ways. And he, he played... A phenomenal game but this was this is such a departure from what they actually do right. that i've been thinking about this all day and i'm sitting there and we're talking you know we're on the eve well the two-week eve of this return by the rams to the super bowl and to beat it's too heavy rich it's too much <laughs> to beat to beat the team that has so haunted them for the last three seasons to actually cross them to get to the Super Bowl, to return to the Super Bowl. They did, not the same defense, but they they captured the ethos of what was so evil mm-hmm. about what the Patriots were able to do against yeah. them. And they did it in a week. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that it was that's the thing. They they didn't play perfect. There were some execution errors and we and I'm sure there were maybe a couple calls they like to have back. Um and, it, and oh, and also I will tell you, I will say this too. The pressure, people were asking questions about the pressure. They got more push near the end of the game. But I think at the beginning, Jimmy Garoppolo was um, uh, getting the ball out really quick. And then also though, they weren't, they basically made it clear that they they didn't think he was going to throw the ball well. Right. Because their edges, they were asking them to stay s- sort of sealed, right? They weren't asking them to really do those wide perimeter sweeps or anything like that. Like they were kind of asking them to stay sealed so that they could pop out and contain if there was a perimeter play, um, like a catch and run or like uh, one of those out- wide zone runs or those outside zone runs from side to side. And it was almost like that sort of does affect your rush. So I kind of don't really... I mean, yeah, I don't really blame them for for that in terms of pressure. And then they did get the pressure when it mattered, obviously, at the end. Mm-hmm. But, but like, they finally – the Rams were finally the evil ones, right? Yeah. Like, th- against this team, it's been like, oh, my God, you know, Shanahan and McDaniel, they just – like, they're just dastardly, right? They just have – have these uh, insidious sort of tweaks and nuances that they throw. And and they threw out a bunch of stuff. They used a bunch of stuff. Right. But not only were the Rams incredibly physical, they also and, and made a couple statement plays early in the game that sort of set the tone. And then Nick Scott also had a statement, a clean hit, a statement play as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only that, but they, then they also sort of flipped that that like uh evilness around and they were like no actually we've changed <laughs> and and i just thought it was brilliant i mean i thought it was outstanding and, and no they didn't play you know i defensively they didn't play like structurally the execution wise yeah they missed tackles all that stuff and they still the middle of the field that they knew was going to be attacked like at times it did get a little bit too much action too much positive plays for the 49ers in that regard but overall being able to do that, I mean, that is that to me is really, really impressive. And I think it also shows how far this defense has come. It yeah. maybe 
won't go down. They'll probably say that it was their best game just because it meant so much. But, you know, you could probably point to other, you know, Lori Yardage games, things like Minnesota maybe. I, I don't know. You could probably point to different things. But in terms of what they were able to do schematically and then have the uh, the mental unity and capacity to be all of one accord in that regard – um, and, and not only Raheem Morris implementing that, the assistant coach is implementing that, but then also executing it successfully. I mean, to me, that was the most impressive. And it also shows to me just how far they've come since the early days of, um, you know, Cowboys camp and, and David Long getting torched down the sideline. Oh <laughs> Feels like it was five years ago. Um, but yeah, I mean, for all those things, like it, if they could have just tackled, if they, if they could have wrapped up some of these plays, like we would, it, we, we wouldn't even be talking about some of this stuff that they were talking about. I mean, the, the Debo Samuel touchdown, I mean, you've got him right in front of you, you get hands on him uh, or the, the play who, who was it? Oh my gosh. I can't remember the receiver who, who was stopped and just like, I'm sorry, it's not personal, but I mean, just basically drags Troy Reader for two yards for a first down that that it was like third and 10 I think like you you've got like those are the plays like you still it's it's you're right Jordan completely it's it's the difference between scheme and execution and if they could have tightened up some of that execution we I think we'd be saying even grander things about this uh this Rams defense but but yeah just I mean everybody knows this I'm not I'm not speaking to anything that um that people don't know but I mean you you look at that sequence there and so what a huge sequence it is uh, where the, you know the 49ers have second and one from the Rams 44. Uh, they're up by three points. Uh, it's about 10 minutes left in the game. And it's second and one. I mean, how many in these two in these two games to the two regular season games? You know, how many times did the 49ers pick up a second and one? Probably ninety five percent of the time. Well, what happens? They try to run Eli Mitchell up the middle the same way they've tried to do it, you know, a couple dozen times against the Rams with success. And who is there? Eric Weddle is is there to just sneak in and 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 make that hip. yeah and <laughs> and just not something that you probably would have seen either in even attempted or or executed and, and just you know again not one play doesn't make a difference but that leads to a third and two uh, where they try to run Kyle Uzcheck and and he stopped and for some reason Sean McVay tries to challenge it which is a very bad decision but <laughs> we won't go into that because it worked out um, but you know then then the Rams get the ball back and and it's just it's it's one of those sequences where I really think in week 18 or maybe even in the first game, that's the drive where the 49ers just pound the ball. They just say, you know what, we're going to give it to Eli eight times in a row and and we're just going to march down the field on you. And it was a different story in this game. And uh, you give credit to the to the execution, too. I mean, that the Rams did a better job at the line of scrimmage. Um, you can talk about, yeah, maybe they didn't hit they didn't get home on Jimmy G the way that you would like to. OK. Um, I, I think everything that you said factored into that, but they did not get manhandled at the line of scrimmage. Um, and, mm-hmm. and that made a big, big difference uh, in, in some of these plays. And, and the Rams were the ones who kind of flipped the script, you know. It was it was the Rams who had the ninety five yard drive uh, in the in the first half that took almost ten minutes off the clock and and really you talked about you know we talked about that that tone setting and that controlling of the game and the pace and the and getting on the right side of the time of possession and the plays run the Rams flipped the script on that it was funny how that nine you know you get they were the evil they ones. were That's they the they stole the identity almost of of what the 49ers did. 
credit. Funny how that turns out because you think getting the ball on your five yard line, like, oh no, this is a disaster. It, it ended up being a great thing for the Rams because they converted, of course, um, and and really just changed the complexion of the uh, of the game. I agree, Jordan. I don't think the 49ers had a lot of trust in in Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, I, I think they they saw their path. Uh, to victory, which is getting the ball into Debo's hands in space, getting the ball into George Kittle's hands, trying to spam uh, the middle of the field, like you said. It's it's funny, like, I don't mean this for, to sound as bad as it's going to sound, but like I had, you know, people tweeting at me saying like, oh, it's, the, how can the Rams leave the middle of the field open? Well, they're not trying to leave the middle of the field. <laughs> it, it, that's not... Everybody <laughs> and their mother knew where the ball yeah, was Yeah, it's not, it's not yeah. part of the plan. Like, hey, yeah, I think we'll just leave the middle of the field open. Um, you know, it, 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 so, you know, give credit to, to San Francisco for, for you know, trying to, trying to hit that stuff. But, uh, you know, good patience by the Rams. And then you said, Jordan, just to, just to put a bow on it, um, when they needed that stuff, it was there. When you when you got to the end of the fourth quarter, or the last two drives, they did turn it up, and and they did mm-hmm. find a way to to get home. Whether it was Aaron Donald or Obo Okoronkwo, Obo was, was back the first there. actual like you know mm-hmm. contact uh, on on Jimmy Garoppolo yeah. that counted. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and by the way, my favorite play. And, and it's not my favorite play because uh, for the same reason, it's the favorite play of a lot of Rams fans. But Traven Howard gets the interception, right? And I don't know who got credited for the tackle on the play. One of the 49ers, but who should have gotten credit for the tackle was Greg Gaines. Who? What a smart play. I would. Greg Gaines deserved a game ball for that because if that's my teammate, I would have tackled him too. I understand. And look, I understand Traven Howard's part of it too, right? Like if, if I'm that guy and the ball comes to me, like football instinct just takes over, right? Like, oh my goodness, I've got the ball in my hands. You know, I need to do something with it. No, what you need to do is fall down. And Gray Gaines, I think, realized that. And uh, as soon as Traven Howard got stopped up a little bit, kind of gently wrapped him up and and uh, just hugged him a yeah, little just and, hugged him a just, little just, congratulated yeah, him yeah yeah just hey, but, hey buddy but Greg Gaines yeah but Greg Gaines had that first he set the play sequence up because Greg Gaines and Ashawn Robinson they both had incredible games Ashawn Robinson uh I don't you're gonna have to help me on this because I'm not quite up on my 1980s horror movies oh, but uh only 30 the, yeah, but maybe by 31, that'll be the yes. big thing. But um, which one is the hockey mask, the scary Jason. guy? Jason. Ashawn yeah. Robinson <laughs> walks into SoFi Stadium wearing a shirt with Jason on it <laughs> and proceeds to just maul. Yeah. Like, yeah. that dude, I mean, he played his butt off. He had a great game, and he was so outstanding against the run. Um, he was physical. A couple weeks ago, he gave a press conference where he talked about how, uh, uh, I don't, it was like gladiators and, you know, ripping people's faces off. And <laughs> we all just kind of sat there like, it is Monday morning, sir. And like, <laughs> he was ready to go. It was, I mean, it was legit. He was ready to go. But, but you saw him too when Aaron Donald is down there hyping everyone up and and uh you know I watched that so many times and and I watched I looked at Greg Gaines's face I looked at Ashawn Robinson's face Ashawn Robinson was in another planet at that point he was ready to go and he showed up and Greg Gaines shows up he shows up in the way that he 
with that batted pass on on first down, he changed the play sequencing. Yeah. So they had to cut to an outside run um, on second down. And Traven Howard blows that play up um, with the tackle for loss. That sets up a known passing down, um, a, a third and long. I think it was like third and 13 or something, third and 12. Right. Um, something long that is a known passing down. So the rush can really actually rush. They don't have to worry about the option stuff right. or anything like that. Right. They actually can rush. And Aaron Donald, that's when Aaron Donald shows up and Aaron Donald um, just sheds his his blocks and gets after Jimmy Garoppolo and affects the pass and, and hits him and, and the ball wobbles in the air. And Traven Howard has the awareness to come away with it and come down with it. And then Greg Gaines, like you said, Rich, mm-hmm. has the awareness and, and presence of mind, which I never understand how these guys can do stuff like that that fast. But yeah. like Greg Gaines, these two guys, oh, what, fourth round pick and a seventh round yeah. pick, um, supplementing what the star player does. That's what, you know, that's what we talk about all the time with what their team build actually is. Like, I'm so sick of hearing the words all I know. in. Um, because this is what the team build actually is. And, and this is what, this is, this is how it is supposed to work when it's at its best. Now, a couple of the losses to the 49ers was also how it works when it's at its worst, right? right? Or at its most tenuous, but this is how it's supposed to work when it's at its best. Um, the, the core player, the star player making something happen, um, forcing change, causing a catalyst. Mm -hmm. And the developed player who the Rams saw something and believed in, developed, brought in, is playing way earlier than maybe most should or would on other teams or maybe if at all is contributing, makes the play to, to seal the game. And the other player has the awareness to to help uh, contain that and and get the offense back on the field to clock, you know, to, to clock the kick. Yeah. So. Um, just, ex- just incredible, just incredible stuff, um, to me in terms of just how that's what it's supposed to look like. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and we've said it time and time again, Jordan, but it, it, it doesn't hurt to say it again because yes, the narrative around this Rams team, I think is, is off sometimes. And, and I think we, we talk about every week, Matthew Stafford, Aaron Donald, uh, Jalen Ramsey, Cooper cup. I mean, these are the stars on your team. They are going to play well pretty much every week. They're going to make some mistakes. Matthew Stafford's going to make some mistakes. Cooper Cup's going to drop a pass here and there. It tends to happen a little bit. By and large, you're going to get that consistent great effort out of these guys. And that's what they're paid to do. That's what they were brought in to do. And you need that. Where the Rams are going to win or lose games, win or lose NFC championships, probably win or lose the Super Bowl, is these guys who we're talking about. It's not the top four guys on your roster. It's that whole other group of Greg Gaines and Rob Havenstein and Kendall Blanton. Brian Allen. Yes. Brian, it, it's, it's these guys whose names, and I've uh, Jordan, remember, I think it was Jalen who said after the game last night, mm-hmm. I don't know what the question was, but you, you, you can fill in the blanks here, but uh, somebody maybe asked him about guys who aren't quote-unquote names, and, and mm-hmm. what was his quote? Something like, they, they're names to us. Uh, yeah, What a goes, great way to say it. My, yeah. yeah, well, that was actually my question mm-hmm. too. It, it was uh, I was asking about the build because Jalen, as if you guys uh, read the the profile I did on him, like he was su- he's super into it. Like he's into the the structure of how they've put the roster together. Right. He is the guy who's been um, so openly courting yes. some of these players and trying to bring them breaking in. breaking news on like, Twitter. 
Yeah, Sean Sean calls him like GM Ramsey. Like it's he's very into it. So I I asked him about that and and what it meant like that play to happen that way. Yeah. And he had such a great quote. He was like, "They're not guys to us. Like we think every single player on our defense is a name." And uh, yeah, it, or he said, "They're names to us. We mm-hmm. think every single guy on our defense is a name, yeah. and we're all going to make plays. And that's that's what has to happen. That's what made this defense so good last year." Yeah. Um, in many ways, not just schematically, but in terms of that execution was those guys making plays. And yes, there are weak spots and those spots are certainly probably going to be targeted yeah. um, by the Bengals because they are a team that made it to the Super Bowl. So you'd probably be silly to not target those spots um, in various ways. But at the same time, the Rams aren't going to play this type. You don't even have to watch this game, really, if you're the Bengals, right? Because this is not the way the Rams will face right. one of the more explosive passing offens- offenses. like. Yeah. They're probably going to get back in too high and keep the roof on and all of that. So this is not the way it'll happen. But this that's also kind of cool, right? Because mm-hmm. the, they they pivoted and then they're now going to pivot back. Mm-hmm. And like that just shows kind of the multiplicity that they've attained. Mm-hmm. And then also getting the most out of all of these guys when they need it the most um, has been so important through the postseason. And along the thread of kind of that like extra layer of evilness um, – I was watching toss plays and pitch plays happening in the Rams run game. The same types of plays that directly targeted the middle layer of the Rams defense Mm -hmm. in that week 18 loss, that small wrinkle that was added. Sean McVay and Kevin O'Connell are and Thomas Brown are now using that, you know, through the first half Mm -hmm. to get Cam Akers going. Yeah. How about that? Liked it. I mean, that's learning. Who are those guys? Yeah, like- <laughs> that, that's learning because you know yeah. you can't. That was one of the things that we saw in that week eighteen game. It's just like you can't run it through the teeth of this uh, San Francisco defense and think that that's a way to to consistently move the ball. They did a little bit of that. It wasn't all outside. It wasn't all pitches and things like that. I mean, they, they ran it up the middle and ran it up the middle with some effectiveness at times, by the way. Um, but loved seeing that stuff. Love make them make them move laterally. Make them at least think about it. Um, and really, really liked those plays. They even they they tried the one jet sweep, which I, I yeah, applaud the effort. Uh, <laughs> it, it was pretty predictable, actually. That's in the the two two at will play three years from yeah, now. Probably. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I. I I see you thinking, Sean. So, so that I, I applaud the uh, I applaud the effort at least. But, uh, but yeah, I mean that's the sort of thing you're going to have to do, Jordan. But you're right, to- totally different. Um, I mean, I think we talked about it after the Tampa Bay game too. I mean, the the way that they played Tampa Bay was going to be totally different than the way that they played uh, uh, this team, and and the way that they played Arizona in the first round was totally different than the way that they were going to play Tampa Bay. So uh, again, we're, I know we're going to get into a lot of that um, uh, next week too, and and talking about maybe how you attack that uh that bangles uh thing uh, jordan maybe um you know just a couple housekeeping things uh, you know it's it's going to be um another big week for uh for some coaches interviewing uh you know mm-hmm. what what do we know about uh, the the two coordinators and uh, of course these things can move very quickly here uh but but as we sit here on monday night kind of what do we know about those guys yeah, you know, my understanding is that the Vikings flew in to Los Angeles to get a second interview with Kevin O'Connell. Um, our reporter, Chad Graff, tweeted out a little bit earlier this evening. We're recording on Monday evening as we are want to do. Uh, is that how you say it? Want? Sure. I think so. As we are want. Want? Yes. 
want. Want. I can't say it the right way. Oh, you're right. As we are, as we are want to do. <laughs> um, why did I have to get fancy all of a sudden? Who do I think I am? Sean McVay? Yeah, exactly. Come on. Come on. I know. I, te- I teed myself up on that. Mm-hmm. Sean, we're not picking on yeah. you. You made it to the Super Bowl, yeah. dude. Again. Um, so, yeah, they, they interviewed uh, Kevin O'Connell for a second time. They did it in person. My understanding, uh, and this has been reported by some, not reported by all, so there's some gray area here probably, but my understanding is that this is also when they wanted to get the the second uh, Raheem Morris interview done. Obviously, those guys have talked over Zoom. Um, so the Rams coordinators are two of the finalists um, in that search. There's obviously still some moving parts and, and there's some chatter about like Jim Harbaugh and stuff, mm-hmm. but, um, but we'll see what happens, right? And this is the time of year where you know, you, if you're Sean McVay, you've you've come to expect these things, and um, you just you just never know. And so, you know, that's going to be something to watch throughout the week. I, you know, the, a lot of teams are kind of waiting, and I would imagine because there are playoff targets, there are a couple placements uh, late last week over the weekend, um, but some teams are still waiting, and so I would imagine it's because there's some targets who are on either of these coaching staffs um, and then also kind of waiting until, you know, senior bowl, which I think is happening now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so waiting for that to get some in-person conversations and all of that. Um, So yeah, that's, you know, that's going to probably happen to the Rams uh, if not every year, you know, at least every other year. And, and you just never know. Now I don't think that that affects anything that they're doing ahead of, Super Bowl again. This is kind of a blank space. They have mar- like Super Bowl marketing stuff that they got to do on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, this is just my understanding, loose structure of what this week looks mm-hmm. like. And then they're going to have practice Thursday, Friday. I think they're going to do a walkthrough type thing on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, not not positive yet. And then they'll have a full week of quote unquote regular practice the following week. Um, which is the sort of the ramp up week for the actual Super Bowl itself. And my understanding, at least this week and, and possibly next week, I'm not not 100% on this yet because I think things are still being figured out with the league and moving parts and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I do think they're trying to stay in Thousand Oaks for as long as they possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, Andrew Whitworth talked about this today, about kind of staying away from that distraction of Super Bowl Village and, and the various mm-hmm. uh, things that happen and parties and and things like that. <laughs> now, this is a pretty secure group of guys. I don't think that – I mean, I am hope I'm not – I hope I'm not jinxing it here, but yeah. I, I don't know that that's necessarily front of mind anyway, but, yeah. Yeah. uh, but definitely, you know, thousand Oaks, it's quieter up there. You can kind of get away from that pressure. That's looming of, of the big game itself. You can stay in your routine. Um, that's one of the big benefits I think of, of them staying home. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's a, certainly uh, unique, although it happened obviously with Tampa Bay um, last year. So I'm sure, especially with some of the connections that are in that organization, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, there were some phone calls back and forth. Like, Hey, how did you guys handle this uh, last year? Yeah. And how did you, um, uh, so yeah, that, that, that's interesting. Certainly Jordan should, oh gosh, I, I don't know. Should I, should I get into some, uh, I, I guess, I guess. Do it, do it. You know you want to. We'll keep it short. But since since you brought it up, I'm gonna I'm gonna blame you. <laughs> blame yes, me. Yes, but uh, but obviously the the context here, the Rams. Uh, look, Stan Stan Kroenke's dream fulfilled. Uh, maybe we can talk a little bit more about that next week too. But uh, this was. 
this was the goal uh, to to get to a Super Bowl in your home stadium. And, uh, you know, with that, it's it's interesting that it had never happened before last year. And now it's happened two years in a row where the team that is, quote unquote, hosting the Super Bowl is playing in it. So uh, pretty rem- it's very remarkable that it never happened in the first 54 years or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, you know, now it's happened uh, two, two consecutive years. But uh, a lot of questions that come up, Jordan, about kind of what this means for the Rams. Um, and and I, I guess the, the, the easiest way to say it is that the Rams are playing in their home stadium, but this is by no means a home game for the Rams in any circumstance. Um, and in fact, they are going to be the visiting team in the Super Bowl because that is alternated every year. It doesn't have anything to do with records or who you played or anything like that. It is purely goes back and forth with AFC and NFC um, every year. So what does that mean? It means the Bengals are the designated home team. It means, wait for it, they get to pick the uniforms. <gasps> yes. Yes. And, oh my goodness. Um, so, the bang. Rich is getting really agitated. <laughs> I'm not right agitated. I just want you guys to say I, no. Just, no, not, not agitated in a bad yeah. way. I'm saying like you're just gen. You're just generally like there's just a lot. I'm trying going to on. find a way to keep this to like 45 seconds and not drag it on <laughs> for like 10 minutes. Oh yeah, we never ramble. No, on this never podcast. at all. I don't know. Okay, what okay, okay. Real, real, real short. Okay, the the Bengals are the home team. They get to choose what uniforms they want to wear. They have two primary jerseys. They have a, a primary black top and they have a primary white top. They can choose either one. It's their choice. The Rams will get, obviously, the next choice. They cannot both wear colors, okay? So you will not see the Bengals wearing black and the Rams wearing blue. If the Rams, if the Bengals choose to wear white for some reason, which would be their visiting uh, team, normally uh, visiting colors, the Rams can wear their blue and yellow, which I think people in the organization would prefer because they've won it three games in a row. I think the fans would prefer it because they've won it three games in a row and they also like it. Um, If the Bengals choose to wear their black uniforms, okay, this is the sticking point. The Rams cannot, 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 wear their white throwback uniforms unless they somehow get a waiver from the NFL, which I don't even know how that would work. Apparently, the 49ers wanted to do it two years ago. There was some type of little campaign, like they wanted to wear their all-whites. It never got anywhere. The Rams, if the if the Bengals wear their home uniforms, their black uniforms, the Rams, as the rules say now, would have to wear their bone Everybody loves the the bone uniforms, of course. They would have to wear those. To answer the question, and I love you people, I love you dearly, but if I answered this question (laughs) once, I answered it 35 times today. The Rams did not wear their quote-unquote throwbacks in the 2019 Super Bowl. They did wear the blue and yellow that had been their throwbacks. That is 100% true. But before the 2018 season, the Rams actually got permission from the NFL to make that blue and yellow set one of their primary jerseys. They replaced those, I was going to say awful looking. I don't want to offend the great people of St. Louis, but they're pretty awful looking. The the Navy jerseys that were kind of mismatched, the Rams got permission to swap those to stop wearing them. And they wore the blue and yellow as their one of their primary um, uniforms, along with their home, uh, along with their uh, visiting white uniforms. So when the Rams wore those in the Super Bowl, they were not wearing throwbacks as the as the league defined them. They were wearing one of their primary sets of jerseys. So I understand. The, I like the white ones. 
I think they look great. I think they are sharp. I tend to think maybe it's poetic. It's, it's poetic tend- if they it, wear yeah. it. You know? I, I tend to think. I'll, I'll just say it. I tend to think in the future that could end up being their their second jersey. I don't know whether that's going to happen, but I I think it might. They look really good. Um, but yeah, they're nice. They're sharp. They really are sharp. Um, anyway, point being, they can't do it. They can't do it unless they somehow convince, A, they somehow want to, which we don't know that they do, and B, they somehow convince the NFL that they should. Um, Jordan, I know you've got a piece in the works. You're going to get into some of the logistics that people have a lot of questions about. How do the locker rooms work? How do the sidelines work? I uh, even got questions like, what about the PA announcer? You know, what happens there? Um, this is not a home game for the Rams. Let's let's just uh, put it simply uh, first. So uh, they, they do not get those creature comforts uh, by by design. Um, but I, I, I'm eager to read the, the story and find out some of these uh, details. Um, and Jordan, yeah, it'll be, it'll be an interesting week because, uh, yeah, at some point, some of this starts to get um, a little bit uh, uh, formulaic. Is that a word? Formulaic? It is. Yes. Okay, good. Form, formulaic. Um, uh, in terms of, you know, the league takes over and, and there's certain obligations. Oh, it depends on what you were, what the context oh, was, I was wrong, that then. you were using. Formulaic is a word, okay. but I think you want to, I think you just wanted formal. That's, that's so much better. It's such a better word, <laughs> but a lot of it gets taken out of their hands in, in a way of, uh, you know, what they have to do and where they have to go and things like that. But yeah, I, I think an advantage Jordan, you know, to get to be at home, to have those creature comforts, you're not staying in a hotel for eight or nine days, whatever it ended up being. Um, you can practice where you're used to practicing. So, um, you know, maybe a little bit of an edge, um, and, uh, we'll, we'll see. It's, it's going to be an awesome week, Jordan. I'm so excited um, to see what you, what you have in store. Our, our great team, you mentioned Lindsey Jones being at the game uh, yesterday and writing a great column. I know that we're going to have some more people coming in uh, to SoFi Stadium. So a, a great team uh, that, that we have at The Athletic and just really looking forward to to all this. Jordan, I know you've covered the Super Bowl before. We were actually at the same Super Bowl uh, three years ago. We didn't even know each other. There's, I don't know, how many hundreds, couple thousand of, of media people there. So we didn't really get an opportunity to talk. I was still working at the newspaper at the time. Um, so I know this isn't your first rodeo uh, with this sort of thing, but it is as a beat writer. So even though it's a lot of work, I, I, I do hope you enjoy it. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. I'm kind of like, uh, you know, onto the breach, right? Like this yeah. is this is why you do it. This is what you do it for. And um, to the chance to get to tell really great stories about honestly awesome people, um, people who have changed, people who have grown, people who maybe haven't changed and need to, um, people who will learn tough lessons, people who will fail, will try, will succeed. That's what this job is. That's that's why you do it. And, and then you know, magnified to this stage. That's where the real parts come out, right? And so this is this is what the exciting moment is. Yeah. Um, I'm really excited about it. We've got like fifth, I think, fifteen people from the athletic coming to cover this game. Um, so you guys, I'm going to be sharing out a bunch of content over the next couple of weeks. Rich and I have some fun things planned as well. This will not be the last time you hear from us this week, uh, <laughs> but stay tuned for that announcement. That's a little tease. Ooh, yeah. um, also, wanted to thank everybody who tweeted the phrase "chunky heels" at me. <laughs> Over the last, <laughs> over the last week, because uh, we got a log jam at the elevator because uh, there. Okay, so this is just going to get way too into the weeds. But essentially, what happens is the there's a system in place where you don't 
leave the press box. If you're at the Rams stadium, you don't leave the press box until um, the very end of the game after the final whistle because they don't have a place for you to watch the finish downstairs because of what they say are COVID restrictions where you can't go into the small room. But actually what it is is they're right next to the locker room, so you can't hear the angry things or the happy things uh, depending on how exaggerated to either direction they are. And I, I, I definitely understand why that sometimes new people can come in and maybe quote things out of context or whatever, and that would be a problem. But basically there's one, there's a, uh, three elevators that you take. One of them, uh, isn't always operating and you're up on the seventh floor in the press box. So there was a, about almost, you know, I want to say a over a hundred, maybe almost you know, close to 150 media members who were log jammed outside of the elevators, uh, and they weren't opening because um, there was a miscommunication, I think, and they were taking fans up and down instead of coaches and media, which is what's supposed to happen <laughs> uh, with those specific elevators. And there's a lot of other ways for people to get around, but they were using elevators, right? So, uh, so there was a, a massive log jam, and the door to the stairs to get below the level five was apparently locked, so we couldn't take the stairs. So at the very last second, we are in the elevator and then hit the bottom floor and then sprint out because you're going from the press box, which is caddy corner to the locker room where the Rams are. So you're running basically around the entire uh, side of the stadium, the curve, and it's uh, you know a big, pretty big, pretty big distance to cover in, in crunch time. And I almost gave myself a stroke because I was laughing so hard as I was running because I was running in those damn chunky heels that I shared, I overshared in last week's episode and was laughing because I could just, I just thought of all of the tweets that I was getting through the entire week of how, uh, you need shoes that you can run in, and there I was running and sweating and genuinely just being a complete freaking mess at the end of this game, trying to get to the press room in time uh, to capture this huge and major moment um, for all of you, our wonderful subscribers and followers. So, um, yeah, that was uh, that was a, a, another poetic moment, I would say. The glamorous parts of the job, right? When yes. it, uh, before we wrap here, since we're, since we're just kind of spitballing here anyway, I want to know, Jordan, mm-hmm. when did you eat dinner last night and, and, I, and what did you eat, if anything? I did not eat dinner okay. last night. Uh, I did have a slider at halftime and it rocked. <laughs> oh my gosh. It was so one, good. They, one slider? Well, cause the line was so long okay. and I had to get back and, okay. and get my notes down and um, so, but they were so good. They they did them like mini In and Out burgers, but with a thicker patty. Oh nice. my god, they rocked! They rocked so much. I should have grabbed like twelve. Yeah. And just and just chomped on them through the rest of the game. Although I would have been nervously eating at that point because it, it yeah, just was such a once again it was a high wire game. But um, yeah, they they had a great setup up there. They had like six coffee stations. Wow. They brought out like the barista tools. Um, they had the espresso machine working. Wow. They had all this king size candy everywhere. Yeah, they and they brought out. Well, I didn't partake because I 
had a long drive home, but uh, and a late late file. Uh, but they brought out champagne. Like it was, yeah. it was a big deal. It was they met the moment. Yeah, yeah, it was a that's great. It was a big deal. Yeah, yeah, the reason I thought about that is because I remember it after the NFC Championship in in New Orleans. It was I didn't me- I don't remember what time I got back to the hotel, but I I just I hit the uh, uh you know uh, hotel uh, vending area or whatever, and my dinner was um, a a Corona. And a, a bag of like mixed nuts. <laughs> like that's that's what I had for dinner. And I was just like, yeah, the glamorous life. And I remember I didn't even I didn't have a bottle. Like I got to my room and I'm like, I don't have a bottle opener. So I I, I was did the thing where you like put it against the corner of the oh, table. By the side. Yeah, I've I was like, that. this oh, could yeah. end very badly, but uh, there's been some Marriott's across the country. I've I've done yeah, that. I've yeah, done that in. Yeah. yeah. The, the glamorous <laughs> life, uh, for for sure. Uh, but Jordan, thank you for being there for our readers. And uh, I know you're going to want to follow along with Jordan uh, for these next two weeks. It's going to be so exciting um, for everybody. Uh, congratulations to all your Rams fans out there. I know you know what it was like yesterday to go through that. I hope I hope you're all still here uh, listening to us. And um, thank you, by the way, Jordan. Thank you too. But our our last uh, podcast I noted on Twitter. But our, our last podcast was our most listened to ever in uh, however many years that we've been doing this. So that that's really gratifying. Really appreciate it. Yeah, that rocks, guys. Yeah. Thank you. And we're I mean, and it's cool too. We get we see subscriber numbers too. And it's just neat because all of you guys, a lot of you, many, many, like awesome numbers of you seem to really enjoy uh, a certain thing that is also my favorite thing in the world. Oh, yes. I almost forgot, Jordan. (laughs) Thank you for reminding me because, yes, um, you know, great team coverage at The Athletic too. And uh, if you're not already a subscriber, what you need to do right now, since we're just about finished with this podcast, is go to theathletic.com slash 11 personnel. And if you do that right now, right now, you can get all of Jordan's great coverage, all of our great team's coverage, and you'll make Jordan happy because you will get the favorite thing in her entire world, which is what? My favorite thing in the entire world. A great discount, you guys. Every single time you subscribe to The Athletic through the 11 Personnel Podcast. See, I forgot my name at the beginning of this podcast, Rich, <laughs> but I remembered that, yes. that sweet, sweet discount. You guys, go hit that discount. If you are not subscribing to The Athletic, I'm serious, you will not want to miss it. You get coverage across the board, first of all, every team, every sport, but also tons of great Super Bowl coverage coming your way uh, with an entire sort of stable of <laughs> talented writers that I am very fortunate to work with. Um, Rich, we it's been a year and a day since the Matthew Stafford trade when that was previously our that's most right. listened to podcast. Yeah. <laughs> that was that's pretty that's a that's a milestone in itself. All of this. It's too much. It's too, too much. much. Unbelievable. <laughs> it's too <Yeah>. much. <laughs> it's, it's all a dream. It's all a dream. It's people. all a dream. Yes. It's all yeah. a dream. But that hey, that's fine because that at me that at least will mean that I have gotten some sleep, yeah, right? Exactly. So <laughs> it's all good. But you guys, we are gonna be doing that. You're you're like we said, you're not gonna uh this it's not going to be the last time you hear from us this week. Stay tuned uh, to both of our Twitter feeds at Rich underscore Hammond and myself at Jordan Rodrigue on Twitter. And you will see um, we've got some fun stuff planned for you guys. Um, and, and, you know, if you missed that, we'll catch you next week. And as always, we really appreciate you guys tuning in. 